Despite how it may feel, it was another week and it was another win for Michigan. 10-3 over previously unbeaten Iowa as Don Brown earned his paycheck with a dominating defensive performance that saved the season and quite possibly the Harbaugh era. Welcome to 16 Saturdays. Nick Fogel here with my brother, Will. And on today's episode, we'll discuss the debacle that is the offense, wonder about the growth of the defense, and make some guesses about why we didn't see more deep shots. But before we do, good good Yom Tov, brother. How are we doing tonight? Uh, good, good Yom Tov to you, Nick. Uh, hoping that karma and our Jewish heritage isn't going to come back to bite us for working on the, the holiest of holies. Uh, but for this episode and this episode only, we're offering our sponsors a discount where we will not charge them. So I think this safely does not count as work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Slaving away here in the studio. That is my kitchen table. Will came in. I had some rice pudding and some apple <laughs> cider. And I guess technically it was after sundown for those of you who are strict Jews. Um, and he gave me such a disgusted look when I offered him the rice pudding. <laughs> Perhaps a little more Jew-ish. That's right. That's right. Um, Will, you were uh, officiating a wedding for one of your college roommates. I was. So there was almost also karmic danger there. Right. um, Trying to balance, you know, this was a 430 ceremony. So technically there was the ability to to watch much of this game. Did you Um, watch it all? So live? You know, they may be listening. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how far we want to get into this. Uh, but yes, the, as the games was winding down, unfortunately, our cell service wasn't such that we were able to get video feed. But uh, definitely watched those last drives on the game cast and was signaling to the Michigan groomsman, who was unfortunately up getting his picture taken with the bride and groom as those final seconds ticked down. I'll just say he was not looking at the camera, <laughs> but rather over at the uh, the thumbs up and the hail um, coming from the background there. <laughs> so no one was more upset about the Jake Moody missed field goal than, than you were. <laughs> it really would have made uh, that pre-ceremony time a little bit less stressful. Well, I was watching the game here. First time that Kara and I have just watched a game in our new apartment together, just the two of us. She sat through it. She was actually working on the wedding registry as the game was going on. And at one point, she we're in the second half, and she she turned to me and said, uh, "Is is Travel Pro a good a good brand for for suitcases?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "You know, sure, sure, it's a good." <laughs> it's this a was good really brand. her opportunity to add whatever she wanted right. to this. <laughs> We've got some crazy things on the registry now. Uh, but it was, a, it was a, a, a good win for Michigan. Well, let's get into the good, the Met, and the uh. – and this is, a, this is a tale of two cities, really, of a game. Let's start with the a good. Tale of, a tale of two sides of the ball, I think, because in the good, we're really going to be talking about Don Brown and his boys on the deep. Yeah. Yeah, the, the mustache cop himself. The dude of all dudes. <laughs> a lot of people were saying after the Wisconsin game, we're talking smack about Don Brown – uh, we're saying he's some outrageous things that he hasn't done anything for Michigan. That he's overrated. He's come in and, and and made Michigan one of the best defenses year in and year out in the country. He's had a couple down games for sure. He's had a couple games where he really gets exposed. But, but you can really count them on a hand, right? You and can, you, you know, this Michigan team is still the number two defense in the country right now. Now there are some preseason 
factors that are still weighted in there. But this is still a top-tier defense, even after they were decimated by Wisconsin. Yeah, and this was one of those games where you just felt like Don Brown had won the chess match so thoroughly that you're you kind of wondering, like, is an Iowa drive going to get forward progress or not? Um, eight sacks, a ninth when you count the, the intentional grounding, and really the, the last play of the game, functionally for Iowa, should have been a tenth sack. Right. When Almost you, when you really looked scary at the, a at the end. A left-handed pass. To a running back who had previously fallen down trying to block, <laughs> and you're 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. A really impressive pass, by the way, by Nate really Shanley. Impressive. I mean, if that had gone the distance, first of all, the guttiest of all gut punches. But you have to imagine Nate Stanley is a god in Iowa for all time. Do they go for two there? That's what I was – I was getting terrified that they were going to go for two. Well, that's a tough call, but I would say no. Neither team was moving the ball. Uh, they would have just as good a chance as we would in overtime, and I think that going for two, you're a little under under 50% to make that happen. Yeah, my, my prediction was if they had scored, they would go for two, and we would sack them. Um, uh, the, the sacks were just incredible because often those sacks were, were driven by rushing three. Yeah, they and it were was so just lost. utter confusion. You'd see six guys on the line. No one would know where the pressure was coming from. And guess what? The pressure wasn't even coming from the line. It was coming from McGrone at the linebacker level, looping in on a slightly delayed blitz. It was a masterful job by Don Brown. But not just what he did with the D-line, Nick. And I think this is the best performance relative to expectations for this D-line since I don't know. It helped that the expectations had been lowered significantly <laughs> through the season, admittedly. Uh, but with Quiddy Pay shifting to the inside and being able to get four, effectively four defensive ends on the field, that is a damn difficult thing uh, to play against. And well, I was impressed, too, the way that Carlo Kemp was able to hold up in the run game and Dwumfor able to hold up in the run game on the early downs which was able to set up, once we took away the run game from Iowa, that allowed you to really be, be putting that pass rush on the field. And then Hutchinson, Pay, Dana, all, all looking really good and being able to play. The, the interior of that line, when you're able to get the, the rushers on the field and you're not as worried about a, a, a run, um, that, that's when this team gets scary. And I think the, the transition that you saw between the blitzes against Wisconsin where you would, you know, Josh Ross would already be on the line of scrimmage and, and he's functionally just a, a defensive lineman. He's just standing up um, versus this game where you didn't know where those blitzes were coming from. It was night and day the way that this, this defense looked like they had been coached. And it wasn't just the D line. When you looked back into the secondary, you didn't know as a play started, is this going to be man or is this going to be zone? That's something that we haven't needed really in the Don Brown era as a whole at Michigan. Maybe we needed it last year for the Ohio State game and didn't get it. Uh, but we haven't played zone as a base play really ever in the Don Brown era. And now that that is something that's in the toolkit, there were some some kinks to be ironed out. Uh, McGrone got caught flat-footed on a crossing route. There were a few others. But if we can have true disguises in the secondary as well as up front, that's a team that can go compete with Ohio State. Yeah, the only problem this defense had was defending third and logs. Yes, inexplicably. inexplicably. Because I'm not sure 
what happened differently. I couldn't point and say, this is what they did wrong there. Yeah. I mean, some of those, the, the one over Levert Hill was an amazing throw by Nate Stanley. You also saw after a couple of those long conversions, Don Brown adjusting and going more to the zone. I think on that third and 22, he was still playing man and trusting your All-American cornerback to make the play. But then I think he said, you know what, let's we've, try this we've zone. Got we've ways. got zone for, for a reason. And and if there was a, a, a letdown on some of those third downs, you could point to the one player who'd made a mistake and it felt fixable. A couple right. of those may have been on McGrone. Guess what? He's going to be a stud. He's going to be an absolute dude. And, and that'll come along. Well, um, going through it quickly, Daxton Hill, we talked about him uh, the last couple weeks, but he's starting to play play more looking the part of the five-star that we we all hoped he would be. Um, I'm going to say that the offensive line, because we'll get into the offense in depth, but the offensive line to me looked pretty good. They held up well against uh, Epinesa. Is that how you say it? Sure. Yeah, that's how we say it AJ here. Epinesa. <laughs> Uh, not sure how that pronunciation is right. Uh, he he was really a non-factor, and this was a game where I, I thought we might have some problems in in protection. Um, we didn't run the ball particularly well, and we didn't throw the ball particularly well. <laughs> but but it's hard to on, blame that on the offensive line. You could really blame that on well, two people, right? Um, and well, one of them one of them's on the field. Yeah, so hard to know how many people were involved in calling those plays, but <laughs> whatever collection of people calling the plays and the one who touches the ball on every play. Who's not named Cesar Ruiz? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give one other shout out on the good Nick and and this we don't talk a lot about special teams if it's not a kicker or a return man, but Hassan Haskins great tackle in the open field on special teams and noticed him several times in punt coverage. He was first or second to the ball. Um, I was surprised. I didn't even know he was in punt coverage. Wow, that is a deep. That's a deep state. Good. I feel like that's like. When you know you're the assistant coach and the co- the head coach is going through all of the good performances, and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm call just try this to guy. get everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. You know, we see hustle, we see hustle across the field, and we're gonna try to call it out and celebrate it. Helmet sticker so, for, for the week for yeah. One. Thank you, Hassan. Thank you, Hassan. Let's move on to the map. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna just say Quinn Nordine. Um, yeah, he's got a leg. And grooved that first 58-yarder. And the second one had the distance. I, I thought there was almost zero chance he was going to hit two in a row. But um, at least it was like a functional kick. Yeah, it's also <laughs> hard to blame Quinn for that kick. It was a terrible snap. Yeah. And that may have disrupted the rhythm. You could see his frustration. He looked pretty upset with that snap. So I'm not really going to blame him for this. If you want to call him out, fine. Well, I was um, almost calling him out. Like, Let's get Quinn Nordine involved. Like, yeah, uh, you know, I, you can't you, put him in the good for missing a kick. Right, right. <laughs> at, at least he didn't miss a twenty-eight yarder. So we'll get to that later. Nick, the running game, bright spots. Yes, I still think Charbonnet is a good running back, and and Christian Turner and Sana Haskins, Drew Wilson, all these guys looked like they had potential, and yet we're not really getting production. Um, and it's it's not really clear why in this game we went almost entirely inside zone. It works early, and then Iowa figures out we're only running inside zone, and nothing. There's no counter. Yeah, there's nothing that comes after it. So let's let. I think that brings us to the meh or to the uh. <laughs> uh. uh. And this is this is obvious here. 
the offense was almost unwatchable at times. Ten to three. This game <laughs> not just could, at, at times, but at almost all times. <laughs> after the first seven minutes, when we're up ten nothing, you're sort of like, all right, this could be one of those breakout games. Like we, you know, we could put up thirty five or or thirty eight. That's the case, maybe more likely when you're up ten nothing. <laughs> um, and and this could be a feel good rally of the troops. And instead, it 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 just sort of petered out for the offense. Yeah, it wasn't clear what they were playing for because it, it almost looked like it was very conservative play calling after the 51 yard bomb that once again is like, huh, that seems like a good play call. We see no more deep shots, not no more deep connections, but no more deep shots, not even deep routes. They're not, not even, even trying routes. to take the safeties out of the, the field. So we'll get into why that is later on. We, we do have some theories, uh, but even when we are making throws that are in the you know mid-distance, 15-yard throws, let's say we're throwing a fade to Ronnie Bell trying to punch it into the end zone or throwing a fade, period. Why are these fades always going to Ronnie Bell? Yes, he was a basketball player. Yes, he can high point the ball. Guess who else can high point the ball, has the best vertical on the team, and has the best kind of 50-50 ball catching of anyone in all of college football? I'll give you a hint. He's on our team. Yeah. And his name isn't Ronnie Bell. Yeah, it, it's just kind of mind-boggling. I, I, Iowa's defense is decent, but they're not that good. They no. they should not be shutting you out for fifty-seven or fifty-three minutes of a of a game. And the thing that that I struggled with is there are soft spots on this Iowa defense. Like they have some good players for sure, but they also have some not good players. And we have some matchup advantages. And in this game, nothing felt easy. Like we weren't picking up easy plays. No, there were times at that drive at the end of the half it didn't really result in points. Uh, but as we marched down the field, that did feel easy. We threw a couple of outs that felt easy. We threw a couple of hitches that felt easy. Um, those receivers were getting open and catching the ball. But then that disappeared again. Yeah, and this brings us to, I think, the, the main, uh, which has really been the theme, I think, of this, of this season. And this is good and bad news. I don't know. What's the good news? The good news is it's one player. <laughs> right? it's the, one ba- player. the bad news is it's the most important position on the team. <laughs> the good news is Dylan McCaffrey is still on this football team. And yeah, someday we'll yeah. come back from concussion protocol. We'll see. But Shea, I think it just has to be said, he may be injured. And I think that's... He almost certainly is That's got to be kind of the hope at this point. But he does not seem very good right now. He's slow to make his reads. He makes the wrong reads. The... The high-low interception was just egregious. When they showed the replay, and Eric All is screamingly wide open, and instead you try to force it over the top, and the play is just designed to choose one or the other, and you make the complete wrong read and then make a bad throw on it. He looks uncomfortable in the pocket. His passes are wobbly. They're slow. They're inaccurate. You got to kind of like, what, what happened here? Well, he played a lot of golf this summer. And it turns out golf is not great preparation for quarterbacking. I think the man is also injured, but that doesn't explain the decision-making. And that's that's what I can't fathom. Now, if you want to look at – we're, we're going to try to, to cheer everybody up because there's enough bad news in this world. If you go back to the Iowa game during the national championship season, Brian Greasy quarterbacking the team through that one. Brian Greasy in that game – 15 for 26 for 165 yards. 
That's not that far off from Shea's 14 for 26 for 147 yards in this game. So, yes, he's a couple of touchdowns shy of where Greasy ended up. Uh, Greasy brought the offense to a 28-point win. But this is very close to a national championship-style quarterbacking performance. That is one of the biggest (laughs) reaches I have ever experienced. Brian Greasy had a terrible game, probably his worst game of that season, but still accounted for four touchdowns. Yes, he only had 165 yards, but he made big plays, and Shea made almost no big plays. He made the one the one throw to Nico Collins, and then the Let's throw to Let's be clear, he didn't really make that play. But it was a good throw. It he was put, a good he throw. Put the throw. He yeah. put the ball in a place where Nico could go up and get it, and he made a throw to San Ristol when San Ristol was was wide open that kept the drive alive and allowed us to get our only touchdown of the game. Other than that, the moments in this game, and I go back to to Coach Brian Gill, who we've had on the podcast before, who's a longtime high school coach, and will say what you need from a quarterback is six or seven big plays in a game. It's going to be a third down conversion. It's going to be a, a touchdown throw when you need the momentum. There, there's a couple of plays that you have to make. And Shea had so many opportunities where we could have made those plays, where you could extend drives, where you could get us into field goal range, where you could turn a, what a you know a missed field goal into a touchdown, and he didn't make those plays, and 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 we we hung on because the uh, the defense played out of its mind. But this is not a sustainable thing for the offense. Yeah, you know, Nick, I'm just trying to say something nice about the team and about our players. This is like in Hanukkah if we're going to stick with the Jewish tradition. You know, you start talking about the candle; it really burned for eight nights. And you're telling your kids that, and then you got to come in. You got to say, "Look, that's impossible." There was clearly <laughs> that's an electric candle. First of all, it's very different from a miracle. You just got to take the joy out of life. I'm just living in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> Go post on the MGo board. <laughs> Listen, does does Dylan McCaffrey start if he's healthy? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Look, we we need to see what we have with Dylan McCaffrey at this point because Shea Patterson isn't getting it done. Look, look, as as much as I say this about Shea playing negative, I'm actually a Shea guy. I think he's uh, I think he's a gamer. I think he's like a a, the the kind of competitor you want on the field. I honestly just think he's too hurt right now to function in this offense. Either that's sort of like a mental block that he has, um, or it's a physical limitation. I just don't think the way that he's playing right now and the way where his confidence is at, he's capable of, of leading the team right now. He's not comfortable, and he's not getting more comfortable by playing. If he right. was getting more comfortable by playing, we would have seen improvement after Rutgers, but what we really saw was a reversion to Wisconsin Chet. Yeah, and I don't know how much we'll learn this week because it's, it's Illinois, but um, it'll be very interesting to see how the offense performs this week. Well, before we take a break, um, last week we had made the the uh, metaphor of the offense as a sober guy at the bar. You you walk into the bar, um, you're really just out of your element there. And <laughs> again, not an endorsement no. of alcoholism in right. any stretch. This may just be you know like drive safe. You just uh, you just came from like a library session. You're deep into your thoughts and you're very calm, and you go to a a noisy bar. And your first couple conversations just feel really forced. You're like, the sound of my voice sounds weird. 
and then, and then you're trying. You ever get that? Yeah, I think you might need to take a month off, though. <laughs> <laughs> you should be able to function in normal conversation. With no, no, I just, you know, like if you've been by yourself all day, and then your first conversation, you're like, oh, "How does speaking go?" Sure. Okay. So that's that's okay. that's the offense right now. Yeah, and you're trying to find your groove. You're trying to get the song played. Well, it got me thinking about some other metaphors for the offense. So, want to want to try a few for you and, and see if you've got some of your own. Um, the first one that came to mind was uh, you're at the beach and you look out on the water and there's just a jacked guy getting onto a, a, a windsurfing board. Is that what they call the windsurfing board? Sure. Yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. Call it a windsurfing board. So this guy, you know, jacked guy gets up. Pretty soon becomes clear that this is his first time on a windsurf, on going going windsurfing. So occasionally he's going to catch the wind in the right direction and be kind of cruising along. And and you could look up and and be like, wow, that guy looks like he knows knows what he's doing. But then you got to turn that ship a little bit, and the wind shifts, and all of a sudden this guy is stuck. Like no <laughs> idea where he's where he's going to get back to shore. Just looks like a disaster. That's the Michigan offense. <laughs> occasionally the deep throat of Nico Collins. Hey, we got a, we got an offense, and then you're like, oh, but the wind shifted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think you're calling back to the time that we already discussed me trying windsurfing for the first time in the Virgin Islands and taking riding the wind about half a mile offshore before realizing that surfing into the wind is a little bit more difficult than surfing with the wind. So. Thank you for for bringing that back. Yeah. Um, for all the well, to be clear, I was not I was not saying you were the jacked guy. <laughs> I was, oh, I was, I was the jacked was guy. Like the <laughs> so my second one is, uh, you know, you go into a college class and you have not done the reading, and it's a participation class. You know, you've got to say something, and so you're kind of waiting. You're buying your time where it's like, well, I got to get my comment in. There's you know maybe thirty people in the class. You're gonna have one, maybe two comments in the class. Um, and you raise your hand at a certain point and it's one of those comments where everyone just gets quiet. You wait maybe 10 seconds after you said something and then they just go on with the conversation that was going on before <laughs> your, your comment. And then you, it becomes clear that you had just no concept of what was being talked about. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is, this is at least balanced. So if we're going to bring up me not being a very good windsurfer, we've now learned that you're an alcoholic who, who didn't study very hard in college. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that this is apt. I think that this is apt. And, and also because if anybody does respond, if somebody says, tell me more, you got to first down, try another play. What's your, what's your alternative to inside zone? We're not really seeing any follow-up. Right. I, I think the, the question in these metaphors is the Jacks guy learning to windsurf while he's out there seems pretty unlikely. Like that's kind of a lost cause. Uh, the person participating in class, at least they could do the reading. If you're if you're looking at it over the course of a semester, it's we're going to we're going to beat another metaphor to death <laughs> this week. But if you're giving the person the whole semester, at least next week you might be able to do the reading in advance. Right. You might be able to catch up. So this team is close. They have the tools. They have the capability to windsurf, to catch that wind, to participate in class. We'll, we'll move on from this. They're held back by one thing, it seems, and one thing only right now. And, and that feels fixable. 
Yeah, they've got to go to Shea, office hours. Whether it's Shea getting getting healthy, whether it's Dylan McCaffrey coming in, whether it's trying Joe Milton. No, no. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> suggesting that. As, as a, All those people as out there who are like, oh, let's go with Joe Milton. It can't get any worse. No, no, no. It definitely would have gotten worse. <laughs> get we've, worse. We've seen Joe Milton on the field. He's still uh, a, a year, year or two away. Yeah. Um, but with Dylan McCaffrey or with a healthy Shea who maybe – I don't know how we improve his decision making, but somehow this guy gets his guru going. Right. Um, this is a team that could do something big. Well, with that, well, let's take a break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about some conspiracy theories as to why we aren't uh, throwing the ball deep more. Nico Collins, Josh Gaddis' daughter, uh, just a hint of what's to come. Uh, we'll also talk about what you might expect from the Illinois game and Rutgers players asking to sit out the rest of the season. Um, That's all coming up after the break. You're listening to 16 Saturdays. Maybe this is a good way to start the Yom Kippur. <laughs> We're thinking about what sins we should be atoning for that may have brought wrath upon our, our beloved Wolverines over the course of this season. Are there things you're going to change about your, your game day performance? Like you, you particularly? Yes, and, and I have been reflecting on this in our, in our days of awe here. I've been wearing certain very uh, attractive um, suave and manly pair of yellow <laughs> stretch pants. Yeah, definitely uh, uh, female pants. <laughs> <laughs> Neither here nor there. Uh, I bought them in the medium section at a, a fine Goodwill establishment in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 2005. And I've been wearing them pretty much every game day since. Mm. So these pants have been, been with me and, and been a part of my game day routine for going on 15 years. I'm retiring them at least for the season. I wore them for the Wisconsin game. I wasn't feeling good about that decision going into the day, but somebody had asked me, are you going to wear the pants? I felt like I had to, Um, but they didn't help us in the Army game. We almost lost that game before I removed those pants and watched the rest of the game in boxers. So yellow pants are are out for game day for me. That might have to be a ritualistic burning of of those pants. Did Becky put you up to this? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's get into uh, some theories about why we aren't throwing the ball deep because this is, uh, I think, one of the things. I mean, Joel Klatt, the announcer, was was just pleading for Michigan to throw the ball deep. I think every Michigan fan was pleading for that. 
don't really understand why. So, Will, give me some possible explanations yeah, so, for why we didn't run, run some deep routes. So one you alluded to before the break, and, and thanks for, for blowing that lead, uh, Nico Collins, rumor has it, has been flirting with Josh Gaddis's daughter um, and then may have stood her up on a date. Is this rumor um, started right now? Well, the rumor has it. Now, <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily go and check, say, does Josh Gaddis have a daughter? Isn't this man 35 years old? How, Almost certainly how young, doesn't have a daughter. How young is this daughter? <laughs> and no, I'm not saying that Nico Collins is flirting with an eight-year-old. Uh, but I'm not saying that he isn't. Right. It's, <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. So so this is this is as likely as it being a good decision not to throw the ball deep to Nico Collins. Again, we're trying to explain the unexplainable. Right. So if these theories seem rash... Bear with us. <laughs> so does not throwing the <laughs> so ball. So does not throwing the ball to Nico Collins. So theory number two, Nick, Shea Patterson, a lot of us last week, Shea Patterson throws an interception, right? And this was without a doubt the most welcomed interception by the Michigan fan base ever. People who never tweet were taking to the Twitter sphere to say, that's okay. Keep doing that. Do more. So clearly it's not fan anger that Shea is afraid of. But maybe there's another reason he doesn't want to throw picks. At the beginning of the year, lots of teams have gimmicks. Miami has their turnover chain, right? What if Michigan, at the beginning of the year, not knowing that this was going to be a problem, incentivized Shea Patterson saying, you will get an ice cream Sunday every game you finish with no picks. And let's say Shea really likes whipped cream. <laughs> Could this possibly explain... Why he is so pick-averse. Is that another reason to support the name, image, and likeness, Bill? Yeah. If Shea could afford whipped cream and ice cream, then I mean, all of a sudden we're throwing the ball deep. This is another way that it helps us. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, do you have you have any ideas? Yeah, so one thought here. We know the wide receivers are really fast. Uh, but we don't know if they've been doing a lot of distance workouts. <laughs> Are they capable of running more than 30 yards in one stretch without veering that off? Now, this would explain a few things. We've heard murmurs in the preseason that some of these wide receivers were thinking too much about the NFL, weren't in enough on the team. It may, may have affected their conditioning. may also explain why not only did we not throw the ball deep, we never ran go routes right. the entire game. So, Nick, I think this one may really have something to it. Yeah. Only get one you know, deep route a game. Is that yeah. your win yeah. you get? Now, now, the one other – now, this one truly is, is crazy. But it is possible that Shea is, in fact, hurt. Uh, he may have hurt his oblique or some other part of his body. And this is affecting his ability to throw the ball as far as we need to and throw with any sort of consistency. Yeah. Were this true – Please bring Dylan McCaffrey in immediately. Um, but obviously that's out, outlandish. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's move on uh, and, and talk about a story this week out of Rutgers. So it just kind of keeps getting worse for, for Rutgers. Uh, first, they, they absolutely start the season predictably terribly. Um, but after getting blown out by Michigan, they get rid of their coach, Chris Ash, end up having to pay him a whole bunch of money. And then in the, the week leading up to their, their next game, their starting quarterback and their starting running back, running back, Arter Sitkowski and Raheem Blackshear, 
both decide that they want to sit out the remainder of the season to keep uh, some eligibility. And For next year at Rutgers, they have alleged. Right. They have not said they're going to transfer yet. What, what, do, you, what do you make of this? Yeah, so I, th- I thought the interim head coach's quote here is, is pretty apt. Uh, you know, is he disappointed by it? Incredibly. Does he understand it? Sure. This, this is the world that we're living in. Um, it's sad. Uh, it does remove this idea of, of people being part of a team. But these are the two players on the Rutgers team that could legitimately have a shot, uh, especially Blackshear, of playing at the next level. Sitkowski has zero shots. Sitkowski is what Sitkowski has is a shot at not ending up a quadruply concussed, disabled 25 year old. Um, Because this man is taking a beating week in, week out. And so it is dangerous for him to be on the field behind this behind this offensive line. Yeah, that one does make a little bit more sense to me because of the injury potential. But I mean, this is it's on the one hand, you're sort of like, hey, if the season's done, maybe just have everybody redshirt. And then right, and give back. the give the fans back their, their money. <laughs> yeah. Look, we're just going to call this one yeah. off. We're going to start over. Lost a couple games, and now we're... We're just going to practice for the rest <laughs> of the year. It might not be a bad idea. But it's just, it is, it's a sad thing. I mean, you're on a, you're on a team, and you're going to quit on the team four weeks into the season. And what, what do you, again, with Sikowski, I can understand it from injury perspective, but what are you really looking forward to then for the rest of your life, I imagine going back to those reunions and being part of that alumni base is, is something that's really satisfying um, for, for folks across collegiate football. And these two can't really be counted as Rutgers alums right. at this point. And it makes more sense to me. Last year you had Kelly Bryant do the same thing when Trevor Lawrence took over as the starting quarterback at Clemson. The difference was he wasn't going to play. Kelly Bryant wasn't going to play. These are yeah. starters. These are guys who are playing week in, week out. They're the stars of the team as as far as stars go at, at Rutgers. It's just sad. It's sad. just sad. It's yeah. sad. Should, should we There's move There's a on? lot about Rutgers that's sad. So this isn't <laughs> really <laughs> – is this as disappointing as the board of trustees should be about their contract negotiations with Chris Ash? Not in the slightest. <laughs> that, that is, that's far more disappointing. Well, well, let's move on to the national roundup from this past weekend. I actually got to watch a good amount of these games. Um, it, was a, it was a great Saturday getting to watch, watch some college football. So I'll, I'll rub, rub that in, yeah. rub that in <laughs> a little more. Um, a couple takeaways for you. One, Ohio State is scary. Sky is blue. Sky is blue. Michigan State is also scary. Their defense looked legit. There was a couple breakdowns, and Ohio State's just good enough that if you're going to have a, have any mistakes, they will take advantage. So Ohio State puts up 24 points in the second quarter. Outside of that, the Michigan State defense was was very good. Um, this one ends up 34 to 10. Will the SEC is going to start to get pretty fun here? Florida beats Auburn to start a really exciting stretch. Florida now has at LSU versus South Carolina at Georgia. Auburn's got some big games. A&M and Bama are playing each other this weekend. It's starting to be sort of a free-for-all with these five teams in the SEC that were so highly rated coming into last week. 
And now we're going to start to play each other and it's going to be a kind of battle royale here. How much more fun would the SEC be if you spread some of the wealth from the SEC West and gave Florida more competition in the East? Yeah, I mean, this would be talk about a conference where if you did some sort of shuffle, like if it was, uh, you know, the top seven teams from the previous season go into the top division and the bottom seven go into the other division or, or something, you know, something weird. Um, where you got to actually see the good teams play each other frequently. Florida hadn't played Auburn in like 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they look good. I think they're going to come out of this next stretch with two losses um, at very good LSU and Georgia teams. It's a shame they've got them on the road. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be a fun stretch run in the SEC. Nick Stanford upsetting Washington. Did you get to see that? Is that is that going to be it for the Pac-12? <laughs> I did not see that. I think that was a ten thirty Eastern start. That was that was a little a little late for me. Um, I think there's still an outside shot that Oregon could hold on, but the Auburn loss certainly hurts their their chances. Um, and I think it's I think it's unlikely that that Oregon one goes the distance and two. Even a one-loss Oregon, I don't think gets in. So I do think it's another year where the Pac-12 is, is left out. You'd have to give me at least ten to one odds, I think, to to pick Pac-12 into this playoff. Yeah, maybe Probably even more. maybe higher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, in the spirit of us doing our part to improve the the Michigan team's chances, let's bring back Pickham. We haven't done it all season. That could be affecting. Yeah, Thanks. you never know. You, you got to eliminate all these variables at this point. Go right. through them one by one. And it's been a pretty rough stretch here. The beginning of the season of the college football landscape's been a little slow. There haven't been that many marquee matchups each week. It feels like there's one, maybe two, um, sometimes even not even that. So this week we are getting into the heart of the season. It feels like this is one where you want to sit on your couch and watch some football. Let's start it off with the Red River River rivalry, really hard to say that. Um, Oklahoma, Texas, who you got? I've got Oklahoma. I don't think Texas is going to be able to stop Jalen Hurts, and they've got a few injuries that I think are going to make it difficult for them. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Texas in this. Hey, here we go. Yeah, um, I, I think Oklahoma is a little bit overrated. I'm still waiting to see Jalen Hurts complete passes that are difficult to make. Where he doesn't need to. Actual That's coverage. the beauty of the offense. Do you not remember the Rich Rod era for Denard? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm thinking that maybe Texas will have learned something from their shellacking against Joe Burrow. Maybe their, their defensive backs <laughs> will perform a little bit better, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Longhorns. Um, I don't know if we can call, quite call this a marquee matchup of the week, <laughs> but it does feel like it's at least sort of even. Maryland versus Purdue. This is going to be interesting because Maryland has either blown the – blown the socks off of their opposition or been blown out themselves. I think this is one that Maryland is going to win uh, in rather convincing fashion against Purdue. It is at Purdue, but Purdue is without Rondell Moore and Sindelar, their, their quarterback. I think I have to go with Maryland. I have to agree with you, but it's, it's kind of hard to pick Maryland after the way they played. They <laughs> lost 59 and nothing to Penn state. So a team that was so high early in the season and just, so low right now. Well, they, they just won 48 to seven last week. True. The Rutgers effect. <laughs> <laughs> the Rutgers effect. We'll see, we'll see what happens. A seven to nothing victory. <laughs> um, well, Alabama on the road, 
hostile environment, Texas A&M. This is an interesting one. If I'm ever to pick against Bama and have it not be a Georgia game, um, it would be this game, especially Bama with a lot of injuries on the defensive line. I think they're planning on starting four freshmen across that defensive front. However, it is Bama, and you don't pick against them in a straight-up pick, so I've got to go Bama. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get the points in that. I do think this would be a really fun weekend to be in College Station because the game's not until later in the day. I think it might be a night game. And so you'd get all the buildup. It would be a lot of fun. And then you just kind of hope that A&M is able to keep it close. But I agree, Bama, um, too much for the Aggies. Well, Michigan State, Wisconsin. Yeah, I've got Wisconsin in this one. I'm still very impressed by what that team has done. And Jack Cohn has looked good enough uh, to keep defenses honest. I think Jonathan Taylor will have more trouble against Michigan State than he's had all year. But he will continue his Heisman campaign, and Wisconsin will continue unbeaten. This is going to be a really interesting game. I think you're going to get to see is the Jonathan Taylor Heisman campaign for real against a a very stout defense, and then you get to see does does Michigan State's offense get anything going against a Wisconsin defense that's been really really good this year. I, I agree with you that I think Wisconsin wins, but I think Michigan State would have a very good chance if this game were in East Lansing. Uh, but Wisconsin at home too, too tough. Yeah, there's a lot of games this weekend where I, I am picking largely based on, on where the game is. That's how good and how close these games will be. This next one, Nick, is another one, Penn State at Iowa. This is going to be a really interesting one. Penn State, has, their offense has looked impressive. Yeah, they're hot right now. Yeah, and and Iowa, yes, I mean, obviously smothered this week, but – before that, consistent quarterback play from Nate Stanley and a pretty strong defense out of them. Nick, where, where do you go in this game? Yeah, I mean, home Iowa is tough to beat. <laughs> it's hard to beat home Iowa. And, and them coming off of a loss, I, I have the Hawkeyes in, in convince, convincing fashion over Penn State. Yeah, I don't know that it will be convincing, but I also pick Iowa. Again, I'd pick Penn State if Penn State was at home. I think we do root for Penn State in this game. No. Yeah. Really? I don't want Penn State coming off of a loss, coming home to the whiteout to play us. I don't know. That's so I'm, I'm rooting for Penn State. I also think against Penn State, we sort of, you know, we're going to control our own destiny in that game anyway. If we lose to Penn State, we've got two losses in the Big Ten. We're not going to win the, the division anyway. So let Penn State be a highly ranked team when we go to play them and don't let them be coming off a loss. Yeah. Nebraska versus Minnesota. PJ Fleck, five and zero. I'm rowing the boat, Minnesota. Wow. Yeah, right. I, I still don't think this Scott Frost era is going to last. I'm going. Nebraska. I'm going Nebraska. I think I think the Huskers get it done. Although Adrian Martinez, I think, is out. He, he got hurt in the last game. So I, if they had Adrian Martinez, I would definitely be on Nebraska. I still well, think there's no hedging here. In <laughs> I, I still think Nebraska is too much. Minnesota is overrated. Uh, probably the worst undefeated team out there right now. Um, Florida LSU, the nightcap. Yeah, I do not like the look of Burrow, but I have to go with him. I, I think Ogeron has done a phenomenal job with this LSU team, and I think they're going to be too much uh, for the Gators. 
Yeah, I agree. LSU. This that would be another fun one, man. If yeah. we maybe next year we got to take, take some trips trip down to the Bayou. That would be that would be pretty fun. Well, Will. Um, until then, a, a good fast to you and a good <laughs> good fast for the evening to yeah, you. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, certainly won't eat between now and the morning. At least there's that. Do you, do you think that's true, or might you get a snack later? Uh, you know, we're we're still we're still thinking about it. <laughs> we're still thinking about it. Let's uh, just not compound it with a lot. That's all I'm saying. Right, right. Um, Will, any any final thoughts here? No, Nick. Uh, but but a question, uh, as always: Who's got it better than a team with nine sacks in their last game? <laughs> nobody, nobody. Nobody. Go, Go blue. blue. Said pin me up at eight. All the pretty girls said I'm going to LA. All the pretty girls said I hate my hair. Talking to the mirror.